Hello everyone. If you're new to recovery and you're looking for a way to help keep you accountable and an easy way to find meetings close to you, there's a new app you're going to want to check out. Responsible for Recovery, R4R, with the number four. This app will give you morning and evening check-ins and tons of resources that will help you out on your recovery journey. Use the code ADDICTIVEPOD to get a free trial for the app. Welcome to the Addictive Pod. I'm Adrian, and today I'm joined by someone new, what the big book would call a problem drinker, who decided that alcohol was negatively impacting her life and quit seven months ago. For the majority of people, this is the case. The addict or alcoholic label does not apply to them, and yet they still abuse substances or behaviors as a way of escape. This episode is for all the gray area individuals out there. As a reminder, that rock bottom is when you stop digging. Please join me in welcoming my first guest from Toronto, Madeline Forrest. Madeline, welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty tired, like I was uh, I was telling you before this, just coming off of a crazy week. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story. We only talked shortly, um, yeah. but you're the first person in Toronto that I, uh, I've had on the show, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was so surprised to find out you're from here as well. Did you grow up in the city? I grew up in, outside the city, like in Whitby, okay. just east, east yeah. of the city. What about you? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up downtown. Nice. Um, so you grew up in Whitby. What was your family's attitude around alcohol when you were growing up? Yeah, so I grew up. Um, I have two alcoholic parents. My mom actually got sober at twenty-one, so she went to AA at twenty-one and never drank again, and that was it. Um, whereas my dad, so when my parents met, um, they were both sober. So my dad had also an alcoholic. Um, he had gotten sober a bit more recently than my mom when they met. Um, but yeah, so they were always like sober when they dated. Um, and then when I was, I think around eight, my dad relapsed. Um, and so my parents split up after that. Um, and, and then my dad never could quite get sober. Like when I was a kid, he was pretty absent because of his alcoholism um, and as I got older, he was kind of like in and out of rehab. Like when I was in university, he did, I think, I think three rehab stints. Um, the third one stuck. So he's now been sober for just about six years. Um, but so, yeah, there was a really different attitude about alcohol in my family compared to others because my sisters and I had literally watched my parents' marriage fall apart because mm-hmm. of alcohol. Um, so it was, and like we, I have, I have two sisters. So it was just me and my sisters and my mom in our household. Um, and we were like really, really tight knit family. So it was always like a pretty open conversation in our house. And it was just really, really understood that like we were not going to drink in high school. <laughs> um, right. And, yeah. So that was a boundary that honestly, like none of us ever, like I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I was 17. Um, it was kind of like once once we each kind of went to university so once my older two sisters went my mom was kind of like okay like you're you're going to school like you can you know have a drink and see how you feel but just be really mindful about how it feels um i did classic youngest child i squeaked through and got to drink in my last year of high school because um, your sisters are in college my one sister was only a year older than me so when she went i went and visited her and my mom was kind of like okay if you're visiting her like you, you can do it um but yeah so it was always um definitely a a conversation in our house and something that like 
my mom was so not strict like she hates rules not that this was like the one thing that like none of us would have done though and if you guys ever had guests over or family members like no one would drink in your house basically there was no no alcohol in the house they would um but i mean like my mom never kept alcohol but if we were having like a party or guests then they would just bring they would just bring alcohol but um i mean since then it's changed my my um my mom met my stepdad when i was 17 and she's remarried and my stepdad drinks and now now there's alcohol but my mom is so far off from her drinking days that it right. doesn't doesn't bug her to have it in the house really like she wouldn't have before but um yeah and what was that like for you so you're growing up I'm, I'm sure you would see other people in high school or you'd see uh alcohol ads and you'd see people drinking but mm-hmm. having your own parents uh have that strong value of not drinking and and you and your sisters following that what was that like was it at the back of your head like oh i can't wait until i can try this or was it a fear around it what did you think about alcohol it's kind of funny because um so my oldest sister in high school she would go to all kinds of parties and it was just really known like she was the one who who didn't drink and all of her friends drank so she'd go to parties where people were like getting wasted and she'd be the only sober one and people would like give her a hard time about it um but I grew up watching her. So I felt like it was kind of cool. Like I almost like none of my friends in high school really, I think they drank a little bit, but like they didn't really like when we were all hanging out, drinking just wasn't really a thing up until kind of the end of high school. So I never felt left out about it. Like I felt, I don't, I think I felt a weird sense of pride about it, if anything, um, up until I did drink. But it was, I, I think I did always, I think I always was like, oh, I don't think I'd really like the feeling of getting drunk. Like, I don't know. I don't think I'd like not remembering what I did. Like, I think it, I think when I eventually drink, I'll just like have a drink or two drinks and, and that'll be it kind of thing. Because that was always what my mom encouraged. Like, you can drink, but like, don't drink to get drunk. You can just like sip on a drink kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So tell me about the first time. So you go to visit your sister. <laughs> yeah. You're in a in a college dorm, something mm-hmm. like that, and uh, you try it. What, what's going through your head as you do this? Yeah, I, I was a bit nervous, um, but the first couple, the first maybe two or three times I drank, I didn't. I I literally only had probably like two. Um, so the first couple times I drank, I, like I think the first time I got a buzz I remember the first time I got a buzz and being like oh this is fun like this feels cool kind of thing um but I didn't I didn't actually get like drunk until like probably a few times into drinking um and it's interesting I look back on that now because such a big part of of why I eventually stopped drinking was I would get the worst anxiety the next day and it just got worse over the years. Um, But the very first time I ever got drunk was with some of my high school friends. And I remember I woke up in the morning and I just was laying in bed and I just felt like I could barely move. I just felt so anxious about it. And I think a part of it is now I have learned that alcohol actually does cause anxiety the next day, which has been interesting to learn. But I think a part of it was I felt such shame about it because I think I really grew up believing like getting drunk was bad. Like I thought I felt really ashamed of it. Like I did something wrong. Right. It's such a deeply ingrained belief for you and for your family. So Mm -hmm. then to go against it, 
yeah i can i can definitely relate to that just growing up religious and then going off on my own and kind of doing my own thing that similar feeling a level of shame a level of Mm -hmm. uh oh uh who am i to do this like who am i to go against this um where did your drinking go from there so you felt that way did that push you away from it for a little bit or did you just keep going it was fun i just kept going it was fun um yeah. Yeah. And then I just, I just like kept drinking at parties and then, um, obviously went away to, uni- I went away to university and I drank really heavily through university, but I think I, that level of drinking is so normalized in university. Like sure. it's really normal to be like, let's get wasted tonight. So, um, I think I definitely was already like a problematic drinker then, but it's really easy to not have to think of it that way. Um, but definitely through university, like I, I blacked out fairly regularly. Um, and that was always just the more, like, I, I would just be a mess about it the next day. Like in the morning, I was just always terrified. Like, what if I did something that I don't remember? Um, and I think like, as much as I say it was normalized, I think it was also clear that like, I love to drink. Like I was like, I remember there being conversations in university of like, oh, who's the sloppiest drink drunk out of our friends? And it would be me kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't that I was like completely normal then either. But um, yeah, definitely drink kind of just carried on drinking pretty heavily and partying. What did it what did it do for you if you went to a party and you didn't drink? How did you feel? I don't think I went to a party and didn't drink, so I don't think I could answer that, honestly. <laughs> that's a trick question. <laughs> yeah. uh, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, that that's uh, that's a good answer, and I think a lot of people can relate to that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no memory of that, because it becomes the social, it, it becomes such an important social lubricant. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's just a necessity, or it's a, it's a given that you're going to yeah. be drinking when you're hanging out with people at a party. Yeah, and that's, it's funny because that's part of the reason why my mom didn't want us to drink in high school. It's not even that my mom was anti-drinking. Like, I think she would have loved for us to have all like, just, you know, been normal drinkers. Um, but she, she, she wanted us to be able to get comfortable in our own skin in social situations without relying on it. Um, mm. which I did wow. do through high school, but then like, once you get used to that and you have, you get used to just being able to like liquid courage or loosen yourself up, then it's hard to go go back from that. Did you have any consequences in college from drinking? You said that you were kind of known as the sloppiest drinker <laughs> in the friend group or whatnot. Did that did that come back to get you? I mean, or was it more later on that you started to um, see more of the consequences? I would say it was more later on. Like nothing, nothing ever, you know, bad happened really in university as a result of it. It was all just like, my inner turmoil about it if anything right the anxiety the next yeah, day yeah yeah how did you cope with the anxiety um I think I just I think I would just ride it out like I don't I didn't I didn't um seek help about it or anything because it, it was always just as a result it would be like the next day when I was hung over and I would just be so stressed out about if I had done something um but I, I would just kind of let it, I would just kind of let it pass, honestly. When did you start to realize that drinking might not be a good choice for you? Hmm. That's hard because I think, I think like deep down in my gut, part of me probably knew for a long time. Um, but like, I would say there were times in, in university 
where I, I probably knew, but I would say within the last, for sure, I, I did, um, I went to Australia for a year in 2018. And that's when things really, really ramped up for me with alcohol. And I would say, definitely during that year, like there was a, at one point, probably halfway through the year, um, I, I literally woke up and I, I had drank so much the night before. And I was like, oh my God, I need to take a break. And I actually went online. I was like reading up on like sober blogs and wow. all of that. And then I drank that night. So <laughs> do you think, uh, do, do Australians drink more than Canadians? Or is it kind of the same? <laughs> I think it's the same. I think Australians love to drink, but yeah. I think I was the one trying to get people to drink with me more when I was there. But that, maybe I it's think, just the vacation setting as yeah, well, right? You're in a different place. That's the thing that's um, interesting is that, so I went there, I did a year long working holiday there in 2018. And I just went, I didn't want to work in my industry. I, I went and bartended um, just because I just wanted to go and, and travel and have fun. Um, and going there, I, I just like, even though it was a year, I was just in a vacation mindset. And so I just used that to justify, like I, I genuinely probably drank every single, like most days, if not every single day when I was there, like it was really rare mm -hmm. if I didn't drink. And, um, I would just, yeah, use that to justify like, whatever, I'm on a working holiday. It's a vacation. Um, but I think now knowing what I know about alcohol, like, I don't think it's really that talked about or recognized that it's a super addictive substance. And so I think the, the amount of drinking that I was doing when I was there really like accelerated things for me to maybe like, if I just kept living my normal life, maybe I wouldn't have gotten to that point for a few more years. But um, yeah, I drank just so much when I was there. And then, and then, you know, I was dealing with so much anxiety the next day because of it. Mm -hmm. And then I started drinking to ease the anxiety, which obviously is just a vicious cycle. <laughs> right. So the, the drinks would start a little earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. They started to be mimosas. Or, oh, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, that is that that starts to get uh, that is a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and how, you were there for a year, so mm -hmm. once you came back to Canada, I'm I'm assuming the drinking kind of kept up at that pace, right? Now that now that you had built up that habit and built up some tolerance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I came back. Um, it would have been just the very end of 2018, and I think I really came back. Like I I I was concerned about my drinking for sure towards the end of my time there, um, and just just feeling awful about it. And I think I came back and was really believed like, okay, like I'm gonna tone it down now, I'm coming back. Um, and I did to an extent, I wasn't drinking every day, like heavily the way that I was. I think part of it though, like I, I moved back into my mom's house when I came back. Um, so I wasn't like super carrying on to the extent that I was there, but I definitely wasn't able to reel it in the way that, that I wanted to even, um, when it, it's when I came back, I, I started dating someone briefly and he didn't really drink. Um, and I felt like pretty judged by him about my drinking. And I remember we went to like a Leafs game at one point and um, and I was drinking, but I, I wanted to just like, you know, only have a couple drinks because I didn't want to feel like he was judging me because he wasn't even drinking at all. Um, and I had probably two, maybe three glasses of wine. And I really, really just wanted to keep going. And I, I like went to go to the bathroom and I bought a wine on my way and went in and 
and downed it because like I just wanted to keep drinking but I didn't want him to know right and like looking back I don't even think I realized at that point like I don't think I thought about it that much the next day I think I just told like my friends and laughed about it but like looking back now I'm like oh my god I couldn't even get through like an evening just enjoying a sports game without wanting to like keep going and getting drunk Mm -hmm. did uh what did your mom and your sisters think about this did they know at this point what what extent your drinking had gone to um I think my sisters no I think I had a really um like my drinking from the outside I would say was still pretty socially acceptable minus my year in Australia that that I wouldn't I wouldn't call that socially acceptable level but when I got back I think anyone from the outside like they would think like oh maybe oh like she loves to drink and but like Um, I think from the outside, it looked normal enough, except my mom, my mom, now I know, um, had always had some concerns, um, Mm -hmm. can't can't get anything past her. (laughs) I bet. Mm -hmm. I bet. No, that must have, that, that would be hard for her from her own experience, right? She was 21 when she came into recovery, so seeing her daughter. mm -hmm. And now I always grew up knowing that she'd gotten sober at 21 and like, that was just who, who she was. I always knew that. And now having gotten sober at 27, I have like a whole other level of respect. I'm like, how the hell did you do that? Like Mm -hmm. so young, because even now, like early, early in my days of getting sober, I remember talking to her and being like, oh, I'm still in my twenties. Like maybe I should have just waited. And like, I still have like so many, you know, I still have my twenties ahead of me. And my mom laughed and was like, yeah, how many times do you think I thought that? Right. <laughs> like the entirety yeah. of her 20s. You had, a, you had an extra six years yeah. of the so-called <laughs> fun times. Yeah. God. So-called. Um, so-called. Yeah. Meanwhile, you show up at an AA meeting and the 50-year-olds are like, you're so lucky. I know. You came in here I on know. time. <laughs> they lost everything and they're like, you lucky son of a gun. So true. Um. So, okay. Tell me, tell me more. What, what happened at that point? When did you start to think that it was, it was less socially accept, uh, less socially acceptable and, and things were starting to take a turn for the worse? After that. Yeah. I just, I just kind of carried on. Like I, w- I was a social drinker. Like I was never drinking alone or like, you know what I mean? Like I was out just getting drunk with my friend, you know what I mean? So, um, I think it was easy to, to kind of get away with. Um, but at the end of 2018, um, I went to my work Christmas party and I blacked out. And that was like my worst nightmare, like waking up the next morning. Cause I've always, always wanted to at least kind of be able to keep it together at a work thing. Like I never want to, you know, be drunk in front of coworkers or anything. Um, and so waking up that morning was a really, low point like I still shudder to think about it and to my knowledge nothing bad even happened like I texted one of my friends and she was like you're like you're fine you're just like having fun like you didn't do anything but even still it's just for me it's always been no matter how much someone can reassure me I'm just like but what if there was something I don't what if I what if I said something that she didn't see or that I don't remember um, just that so, feeling of not knowing is uncomfortable. Uh, like that's a, it's a, work. it's just, yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, I decided to do dry January because it was, it had been Christmas party. So it was right around the corner. And 
that was just a way for me to kind of like dip my toe into it without committing to anything without like calling out that I was really struggling too much. Um, so I did that. So that was at the start of um, 29. No, that was at the start of 2020. Sorry. So that was, that had been at the very end of 2019. Um, so January, 2020, I did dry January, um, which I felt really good about at first, but then it really just turned into like, okay, let me just get through this so I can drink. Like the drink became my reward mm. at the end of it. Like I'm proving to myself that I can do it. Um, and I'll just be excited to drink after. So um, I stayed up till midnight waiting for February 1st and like at 11.59 poured a glass of wine <laughs> and took a sip at midnight. That's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I felt the dry January thing didn't end up really being... I mean, I look back and I think it was still a really important thing that I did that, but um, it wasn't like it it changed what I was doing. At, at least you um, showed to yourself you could go a few weeks without it, right? Because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. a, for a lot of people, it, there's that fear of like, oh my God, even even a week would be so uncomfortable and so difficult. So at least you could show yourself that. I remember feeling so just like bummed on the weekend though. Like I went out for dinner and I was like, oh, like this feels so weird not ordering a drink with dinner, like getting through the work day. Like that was a big thing for me. If I had a stressful day at work, I would just mentally be like, okay, I'll go home and I'll have a drink. And um, that was something for me in early sobriety. That was what was hard was like during a work day being like, oh my God, I can't even mentally pull up my drink if something, <laughs> like if I'm right. having a stressful day. But yeah, so I did that. Obviously then a couple months later, COVID, we ended up in lockdown. Um, and then at that point I started drinking like super heavily again, probably drank again, like most, most days, mm -hmm. um, especially because I had, I had switched to working from home full time and I found it a lot harder to switch off at the end of the workday when I didn't have like a physical office to go to. And then, right. Like, You're in the same setting. Yeah. Setting. Yeah. So I kind of turned it, that would be my justification of like, oh my God, at least if I can pour a drink at the very end of the day, that's like something to separate off like work time versus my my own time. So I started really drinking a lot after the work day. And then of, of course it's on weekends. And I think it really just progressed. And I think my my level of anxiety the next day just got worse and worse and worse and it got to the point where I would just literally be having drinks with my sisters just the three of us no one no one else even there and like not be going out anywhere and I would still wake up and be so anxious I felt like I could barely even function like just feeling like oh my god I just want to crawl out of my skin mm -hmm. like I can't stand this feeling um, even if they would reassure me up and down, like it was just us, we had a good night. Like you don't have anything to be stressed out about. Um, yeah. So that was ultimately kind of what made me feel like I have to, something has to change here. I wonder how much of that is just physiological, just the effect of alcohol because it's a depressant, yeah. right? So it's, it's lowering yeah. the brain activity. So then if your brain becomes dependent on that state, suddenly it wakes up in the morning with no alcohol and it's like overactive and just super, super. Uh, agitated I wonder how much of it is that versus just the the fact that you were sort of acting against your values or acting against what you believed as a kid to be the right way to live yeah I think 
it was really, really interesting. And something that actually really um, helped me get sober was reading the science about alcohol. And like, I never realized that it actually had that effect. Yeah. Like I felt like reading that I was like, Oh my God, I feel so validated. And like what I've been going through, like, it's not just me, it's actually what it does. So that, that really helped me to learn more about that. What, what book did you read? What was your top book? I think you posted it on my, uh, on yeah, my post. I commented on your Instagram, this naked mind by Annie Grace. Right. Um, it was a total game changer for me. It was one of the first, I think it was the first actually like quit lit book that I read that that really just like was a shift for me what um do you remember like what it was in that book particularly was it just what we were talking about now about the sort of scientific uh the, the effect that alcohol has and understanding a little bit about what you were going through yeah just understanding about like what alcohol does to your brain was really interesting for me um I wish I want to reread it because I if I I read it it was a while ago now so I don't remember all the details but um, there were just so many things in there that I found so interesting I remember one thing she read that's always stuck out to me was she said I'm not going to quote it right but she said something along the lines of like the feeling of the feeling that you're reaching for when you or the feeling that you want when you reach for a drink is the feeling of peace that like non-drinkers just feel on a regular basis because mm. it's like you're trying to take the edge off but like alcohol kind of created that edge to begin with that's so interesting it, and, and that's mm. what you start to experience as you get sober right is just that the resting state becomes calm the resting yeah. state is, is a is a nice place to be you don't have to grab yeah. a substance to get there exactly when did you decide that the drinking during covid was out of hand it was around um uh, it was around august because i had had it's it's kind of funny like i'd had a friend over for just a backyard outside visit obviously because of covid um we were just having drinks for my birthday and it had been just the two of us like one of my best best friends and i woke up in the morning on my couch with like the tv still on and i felt really blurry about the details of the end of the night um and I woke up to a text from her, like, thank you so much. That was such a lovely night. Like, thanks for a good time. Um, but I still was just like, oh my God, I don't remember everything I said. Like, what did I say? And I felt so low and it was just such, I don't know why it was this day of all days, because there were so many other days where things actually did happen that I regretted or things like, you know, stuff that I actually was like, oh God, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Or like, you know, certain things that have happened. But for some reason, the most like random, fine, uneventful night and like the next day, it was just all of a sudden just this really clear moment for me of like, oh, my God, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Like I can't stand feeling this way anymore. And so that kind of shifted it for me. But I still then didn't actually act on it for close to like another month. But I knew in my gut after that day that I was going to. <laughs> Right, right. So the, the seed was really planted there. And then it was just a matter mm -hmm. of, of taking that action. Yeah. And it actually it, it was weird. I was coming up. I was a month away from my sister's 30th birthday. And I genuinely was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going until her birthday. And then oh, I'm okay, done. cool. So you kind of you, yeah. you set that uh, landmark. I ahead set of an you. end yeah. date. Yeah. And we because we had planned because um, at that point, things were a little bit more open again. And we went to Niagara and did like one of those bike rides to all the wineries. Oh, yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, this is like my goodbye tour to wine <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Niagara's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes it's too hard to just say like right now is, is it's, I've had enough. Sometimes you have to kind of mm-hmm. set that future date because it's yeah, it's hard. You you become reliant on a substance and you become really attached to something, and it it tastes good. They they spent thousands of years creating these wine blends and these like vine like how they grow these grapes like the process is intricate and they they do this Mm -hmm. to to make this thing taste good and to be enjoyable so of course it's going to be hard to give up of course there's going to be attachment there um i think something i didn't realize is how much it's like a real grieving process mm -hmm. and i'm still going through that um and yeah it's something that you grieve the same way that you grieve like an ex <laughs> it, it's it's genuinely for me I find it can still catch me off guard sometimes that's why I'm I was looking forward to having you on the show actually I think you're the youngest sober person I've had on if that makes sense oh. so like it, it's a different mm-hmm. perspective right you're still going through yeah. this you're still very early on in this journey and it it's yeah. like I'm really happy to see how well you're doing considering like the amount of time that you have but at the same time like yeah you you are still going through that grieving process as well and I think Mm -hmm. it's important for people to to hear that side of it as well instead of just hearing the side of like oh it's been 10 years and I never think about it um yeah yeah what's that like what's the grieving like when does it come up for you and and what do you think about yeah it's it's funny because I actually I hadn't felt it like you know it comes up sometimes in fleeting ways but just actually this past week it came up for me in a way that it hasn't in a really long time um and like just I was um it's funny because I think like the week before this so last weekend was a long weekend and the week before I had gone to my parents backyard like they have a pool and I was hanging out there and it was really in my mind like because my first sober summer and I was like oh it's weird to be hanging by the pool and not having drinks um like I would always love having drinks with my stepdad and um so that was in my mind but then as the day went on I was like wow like this is it's really nice to not be drinking like I feel so good like I, I love that I'm present for this and then a few days later I was like on my sister's balcony drinking like an alcohol-free Prosecco and I was like wow I don't even feel like I'm missing out like this is so great And then the long weekend came and I was in my parents' backyard again. And like, oh my gosh, out of nowhere, it just hit me. Mm. And like, it it literally feels like, you know, when you can just feel physically in your chest, like that feeling of grief, like it just, like I had to go inside and cry. Like it just, I was like, oh my God, I missed, I, I missed it so much in that moment. And it actually lasted like a good few days. Like I was really future tripping. Like the next day I was like, oh my God, like my whole life, I can't, I'm not going to feel that again. And, um, it, it lasted, it lasted for a few days, which kind of shook me because for the last probably even two months, anytime that feeling has come up for me of like, oh, a drink would be nice right now or wanting one. It's been like decently, like kind of fleeting, a fleeting like hour moment or something. Um, but this one really lasted and I was talking to my mom about it. I was just texting her saying like, I just like, I'm struggling all of a sudden. And I just really feel like I want to drink. And she said to me, like, you know, you have the choice. Like, if you want to have a drink that you can, like, you know, that options on the table, but you're just gonna, like, how will you feel after? And I think even just her pointing out to me, like, 
that I did have that option was a really important shift for me because I feel like for the last while I've so just like completely taken it off the table of like I'm not I'm not doing that again it's not an option like I'm, I'm not doing it and that's a good thing that I have that mindset but I think it was important for me in that moment to acknowledge again like this is something that I'm still actively choosing right every no one's forcing day. you you're free yeah to choose. yeah yeah and even recognizing that kind of like when when it became an actual real option it kind of scared me out of it right away like now it because it, realistically i know i don't want to do that um and so i just kind of was like okay i'm just not doing anything about this i'm riding this out and letting it pass um and then it, it took a few days but it did and what i always say to myself too which I found really helpful is that like, it's so hard to get sober in our world because you know, alcohol's everywhere that I would have never made the decision to get sober if I didn't really, really need to get sober. Like I just, even when I'm having moments where I don't feel like as clear on in my like resolve to do it, I just like, I'm like, okay, well I can trust the decision that I made then. Like I can trust that I made it for a really good reason, even if it's not as clear to me right now because I'm thinking about wanting a drink. I think that's so important to have that grieving process. The fact that you go inside mm-hmm. and give yourself that time and yeah, it could take a couple of days. It could take a few months or, or yeah. a year. I mean, it's it's so important to go through that. And um, in my own recovery, I was always about sort of throwing myself into like, okay, do this, just focus, do this. Like these things will help you mm-hmm. go read this, go do that. As opposed to just like letting yourself take that time and letting yourself uh, feel those, those feelings. Um, and uh, I think it's super, super important. And uh, I'm glad yeah. that you took that time and did it. Yeah. And it was a lot, you know, I definitely went through it a lot more in the first few months for sure but it is a real it really is a real grieving process like it feels the exact same as i felt from grieving like breakups right not harder (laughs) right but enough Mm -hmm. about the grief your your insta handle is happiest sober you got to tell me i know tell me about the joy what why why did you create that instagram handle happiest sober and yeah and what makes you happy now if it's not a glass of wine Mm -hmm. i um I was reading a book and I don't want to get it wrong. I think I read this in um, the sober lush um, and it was just, they were talking about, I don't know. I think it was like a, D, a DJ or some club owner or something who was sober and someone asked him why. And he just said, cause I'm happier this way. And I just loved the simplicity of that answer. And I was like, that really is what it is to me. Like as much as I felt like, alcohol was what made me have fun and like what was like you know my joy at the end of the day the reality was that it was actually what was holding happiness away from me um and so I just really love the simplicity of just saying like my my happiest life is being sober what does make you happy now what are the things that uh, you mentioned drinking the alcohol-free Prosecco and and getting together Mm -hmm. with family so um, what's it like being in social gatherings now without the effects of alcohol? Well, it's interesting because I haven't had to really navigate a lot oh, of it yeah, yet in normal yeah, way because I've, I got sober during the pandemic. So, um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a gradual thing for me. Like I have done, you know, I've done video chats with friends 
for like birthdays when everyone's drinking and I'm not, but it's easy. If you want to get away with it on a video chat, you can easily just drink an alcohol-free wine and no one even has to know. Um, but yeah, it's been, I have, I have a like I have been around um, like my, my immediate family when they've been drinking minus my mom, of course. Um, and now I'm used to it. Like at first it felt very, like depressed like at first it was depressing it was like okay let me pour my freaking alcohol free wine that's just like a reminder that it's not the real thing <laughs> while everyone else drinks what they want kind of thing but now it's genuinely like I don't even know when it changed but it has gradually changed to like it's it's fun like I get excited like okay cheers guys and like it's not about the drink to me and now I absolutely love like knowing that I'm actually present when I'm socializing and that like you know I'm being my authentic self and I can wake up the next day and not have to worry about anything that I said or did and it's it's cool to see like obviously there are lots of hard days but it's it's cool to be in a setting where you'd normally be drinking and be like wow like I'm having so much fun and this is so nice and I'm actually here to like fully experience it right really good feeling yeah there's no blurred memories there's no sort of Mm -hmm. um acting differently and regretting how you yeah, acted. Yeah, exactly. What else do you do in your life now that, because you strike me as just a very joyful person. I don't know if this is how you've <laughs> always been. I don't know if this is how you were when you drank as well, but you do strike, you have a certain, you have an amount of joy to you and you have an amount of uh, of happiness. And I'm just curious about uh, the, the rest of your life, what you do, what you enjoy to do and what helps yeah. you uh, be so joyful. Oh. Thank you, first of all, that's nice to hear. Um, yeah, I think, um, again, it's 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 weird times right now, so I haven't gotten to do a lot of normal life sober, but I love traveling when I can. Um, and I'm big into music, like I play guitar oh, no and I play, I play a few different instruments. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing that I'm passionate about. Let me see um, if I can spin this around. Oh, do you? Oh, you play guitar too. Nice. You can see if I spin this around, I've got a keyboard behind me as well. (laughs) Super amateur keyboard. I've just tried to like teach myself on YouTube over the past. um, YouTube is your friend. You got the best teachers ever on there. I know. I know. Um, So yeah, that's, that's something. And I, I really love reading. I read a lot. Um, But yeah, just, just chatting. I, I can't freaking wait to travel again. Me too. That's something I'm really, really excited to do again. <laughs> what inspired you to do the Instagram page? So I had, um, in my lowest like hungover moments of like shame spiraling, I had stumbled <laughs> on that little corner of Instagram, um, and I had I had actually so. I remember reading a lot of sober Instagram accounts the morning that I told you about after I'd been with my friend when I decided I needed to get sober. And I just found it so inspiring to read people's posts about like, okay, look, like they're happy now. They're, they're able to like go live normal lives. And um, I think it's just so cool how there are so many people online trying to really normalize and like even glamorize sobriety. um, Even if like you're, you know, a young 20 something and, um, so that it really helped. And then, yeah, I, stum- I even, I listened to, um, a podcast before I got sober, um, with the founder of, uh, sober girl society, Millie. 
Um, and that really resonated with me and helped me. And so I just, yeah, I kind of just started um, looking at them a lot and I found it so helpful. And yeah, so it was actually, um, I think three weeks from my last like day one where I at, where it, where it stuck um that I started it and I kind of I think I simultaneously wanted to like be that for someone else like it's cool if what I'm going through and talking about it could help someone else and then it's also just a bit of an outlet for me because it wasn't like I was writing about it like oh I've been like sober for a year and Mm -hmm. this is my life now like I was kind of uh, talking about things as I was going through them I just I just love how positive the page is. I mean, it's just so bright and colorful. (laughs) And it's a very um, yeah, it's surprising to me, to be honest, like even uh, I I would almost imagine that very early on, excuse me. Yeah, I would almost imagine very early on, it would be sharing, uh, someone might be sharing more of the grief or more of the pain and, Mm. and the reasons for why they got sober. But you went right for the joy, right for the, <laughs> right for the happiness, and it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you can do that, and I'm sure. I mean, I see that a lot of people do resonate with that, and a lot of people are helped by that. So, um, I hope you keep yeah. doing it. And I, do you have any other yeah. plans for the recovery community? Any plans of doing a, a podcast or anything like that? My mom and I have talked about the possibility of doing a podcast together because her and I now have such fun conversations all the time because it's it's such an interesting dynamic like she's now I think like 37 years sober and she got sober at 21 and at that point literally AA was like all there was um and now I'm getting sober and there's so many different like it's you know there's so many different paths to it and you know there's like the sober curious movement and um which was really helpful for me to at first identify as sober curious um so we have really interesting conversations now about our different perspectives on it um and I just feel like I now could pick her brains for so long about like what it was like for her at that time and and yeah we have and we see things differently sometimes like this naked mind was a game changer for me and she actually tried to read it recently and she didn't, she, she was like, I felt really defensive about AA. Like I felt like she kind of attacked AA gotcha. a little bit and like, AA was all I had, like it got me there. So, um, we've talked about that. It would be fun to, to do a podcast just cause we have such different experiences. Um, but nothing's officially in the works or anything for that, but maybe, cool. maybe that would be awesome. No, that would be really cool having those two different perspectives, and they're both so important. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm a huge I'm a huge defender of twelve steps as well, but yeah. I think that uh, as soon as people start to think that one thing is the only thing that works, and and that's the only mm-hmm. way, then you can run into some problems. You can run into some yeah. judgment. Um, yeah. So I think that would be really cool for you guys to do that together. Get those two perspectives mother and daughter keep it civil though (laughs) yeah for sure always (laughs) this has been awesome having you on i i really enjoyed it madeline and i i think the recovery community is lucky to have you uh out there sharing your stuff thanks thanks for having me (laughs) um before we wrap it up is there any last thing if let's say there's someone who is questioning whether their drinking is getting out of control but is scared Mm -hmm. of the idea of giving it up for the rest of their life and and Mm -hmm. doesn't think they could ever do that what would you say to them i would say such a big thing that i learned is that 
you you don't have to hit rock bottom to decide that you don't want to drink anymore like I think there's such like I think the narrative of oh am I an alcoholic like that's not really the right question it's is alcohol negatively affecting me right now like I, I think that recognizing that it's not just normal drinkers and then alcoholics there's a big spectrum in between of kind of like gray area problem drinking which is where I feel that I fall or fell um so I think really just saying like you don't even have to say you have a problem if you don't want to say that like you can just decide is this serving me like is this and that was the point that I got to where I just felt like I don't feel like the life that I want to live can coexist with what's happening with me and alcohol right now like it I just felt like it was really at the point where I could see with like without a doubt that it was bringing me down and it was having a negative impact so I would say yeah like I heard you know like rock bottom is when you stop digging like you don't have to keep yes going um and something even I heard Millie say in that in that podcast that really struck me was if you see a small fire in your kitchen, you're not going to wait until the whole house <laughs> is on fire before you put it out. Like you can just put it out. And so I think, yeah, just removing the shame or removing the like, oh, my whole life's not falling apart so I can keep going. Like there's so much, there's so much more to life waiting on the other side of it. I think that's such an important message. And it, it really whether it's alcohol or drugs or all these different behaviors, food, I think the majority of people fall in that gray area. The majority of people mm-hmm. fall in the area where they do kind of abuse it. They do have a complicated relationship or a, or a negative effects from it, but they don't identify as the addict, the, the type three yeah. alcoholic. And so they just keep going and they think like, oh, mm-hmm. I, why would I quit? I'm not like that. But what you said is so true. And I love that analogy of the fire. It's just even if it's small, if it's having a negative effect, just stop. Exactly. And and try, try it out, like try stopping and, and see how you do. And, and maybe you go back to it. Maybe you don't. But I think um, your message is so important to share just for that simplicity and just for that um, that positive orientation of just, yeah, let's let's try and be happy here. Let's try and choose what's going to be best for us uh, to live a good life. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Madeline. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Do not forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to support the show. If you got anything out of what Madeline had to say, her Instagram, if I didn't mention it already, is Happiest Sober. And she just shares so much positive content in the recovery community. You're going to want to follow this page and check it out. As always, it's been a pleasure hosting the show. Be sure to check out the episode coming out next Wednesday. And until then, remember, we recover together.